Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about canola production. We're also going to get to your questions and your emails. We have obviously gotten a lot here over the holiday season, and as we usually call it, the prepay season for farmers. Lots of decisions being made on farms across North America right now, so we will answer some of those questions here right after this. Um, Before we get to anything else, though, I guess I just wanted to tell you, hey, it's a new year. 2020 was rough, but let's be optimistic about 2021. Commodity prices are up, and there are a lot of good things that are going on in agriculture right now. So I am very excited to get to spring. I was just talking to some farmers before I walked into the studio here, and I just said, you know, every year I send something out to our people because in the middle of the winter, it's rough. I mean, granted, there are areas that are a lot colder than ours, but ours sure feels awfully cold. Most days here in the winter, we're well below freezing, snow and ice on the ground, road conditions a little bit tough. It's just, and, oh, and the days are short too. So I just told these farmers, what I send out to our people every year is, hey, December 21st, shortest day of the year. And you know what? I can already tell the days are getting longer now. So that's encouraging. January 13th is our average coldest day of the year. Not that we aren't going to have cold days after that, but that's our coldest day and that's in less than 10 days. So things are going to get better soon (laughs) and we just have to get through this winter and get into the spring and hopefully we're all able to raise great crops this year. Well right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, I uh, got some soil samples here to look through, and I was just pointing out to Brian, it was zone sampled. And oh, it looked like you were drawing a mouse, uh, like Mickey Mouse <laughs> well, or something there. I don't okay, know. <laughs> so I w- I'm just going to throw this out there because we get a lot of emails and calls that say Janelle is the hero of the show here. Well, Janelle took a picture from her phone and sent it, and it's a little dark, and it's kind of hard to see. And that's why I looked oh, I at it. I can see it just fine. Can you read those those numbers in there? Boy, they're tough, aren't they? Oh, I, oh there <laughs> were numbers in there. See? Oh, okay. Exactly. You didn't even know there were numbers in no. there. That's why I shared that with you. Okay, so, so anyway. So make fun of my drawings here. You can give Janelle a hard time Okay, well, she quite, get a brighter picture. Here's the thing. Darren, Darren gave, me, gave me this map. I don't really care where the well, sample is what from. I was going to, what's, what your, I was, what's your point? Because here's the question. Here's why it's going to get important. Uh, this is from Travis in Kansas. He said, I'm an agronomist working with a farmer who has never had to deal with low pH soil and is wondering how to fix it because he doesn't have any lime sources in the area that he's aware of, but he does have access to KMAG which would be magnesium sulfate primarily. Now, uh, potassium magnesium sulfate primarily. He said he's included some soil results from the local lab and zone maps where the samples were pulled. He's interested in zones 5 through 8. And the reason that I kind of drew the drawings that I did is 5 through 8 are much different, much, much different in size. And like, for example, number 5... It's pretty big. That's a big area to Do we know how many acres the whole thing is? I don't know that answer, but 
It looks that'd be, big. That'd be a follow-up question, Travis, big. is how big are each of these zones? Because number five looks quite large to be making a Lyme recommendation off. And the reason we say that is, number one, it does cost some money to fix. Now, you you got five nine or something for a pH. So it's not like you have to move it a long ways, but it's going to cost you some money to change that. And if you've got a smaller grid size, you may be able to narrow down where you're doing it. And hey, you do have some pHs on there that are higher. And I would sure hate to, on a high pH, try to push things even higher than that. Yeah. So I'm assuming he threw out the fertilizer K-Mag because magnesium can raise soil pH to some degree. So if that's where where we were going on this, my advice is don't use that to raise soil pH. Your magnesium levels are already just fine. You're 15 to 21% magnesium. If anything, you're a shade high. So I, I wouldn't be adjusting that. And quite frankly, I'd save your money in potassium too. You're 7 to 10% base saturation K. Uh, where's his cation exchange capacity? Do we have CEC on here? How heavy is his soil is what I'm after. I didn't look for that, Brian. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't see here's anything. The, here's the challenge, Travis, when um, when we get a different lab. Now this is one that we haven't looked at for a while. I think we've seen from this lab before, but it's been a while and I don't know exactly on their test where everything's at. Well the reason why I bring this up is because seven to ten percent base saturation K is Great. I mean, like you don't even need to add any K for a while if it's really heavy soil. If it's really light soil, well, if though, it shows you parts per million. You get a right. good idea. What's parts per million? Yep, there. Yeah, parts per million K. I've got. I do have that, and we're in the five and six hundred. So it's got to be relatively heavy soil. Anyway, all I'm saying here is, don't spend your money on K. Don't spend your money on magnesium. Spend your money on the lime where you need lime. But there, I agree with Darren 100%. There's no possible chance I'm going to put $1 worth of lime on this field with the tests that I've been seeing right here. Those zones are way too big. And I, I say this because zone 7 is right next to zone 8. Okay, Zone 7 is a 7 pH. Zone 8 is a 5.9 pH. All right, where does zone 8 end and zone, nine, or zone 7 begin? So where should I stop putting that lime on exactly? Not roughly within several hundred feet because you do that and you're going to end up with the same problem that we had on our farm. We screwed it up, spent too much money on lime, number one, raised the pH excessively, number two, had to spend money on elemental sulfur, number three, and number four, we suffered yield loss along the way. Don't do that. Don't spend one dollar on lime on this field until you do at least one acre grids or smaller and or zones. Okay, I want small, and this is a one-time deal. Okay, I'm not saying oh every year you need to do this. You can go back to your zones after this. I don't care, but one time, please do small zones or small grids, and then you will appropriately spread that lime. And yeah, it might seem like a few dollars, but it's not much because. I'll bet you by the time this is all said and done, let's just say this is 160 acres. I bet you don't have more than about 10 acres that are less than six for pH, just from just my guess. And if that's all it's going to take, 10, 12, 15 acres worth of stuff, it's no big deal. Just do it. But don't get carried away in your lime and make sure you've got small zones or grids. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we're going to get into canola production coming up right after this. Stay tuned. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us and Happy New Year to you. We're really excited to be talking about canola production and crops in general. Now, if you don't raise canola on your farm, I believe you're going to find some tips here that are going to help you with whatever crop you're raising because a lot of things that we'll do for canola, we may do on other crops as well. And it's kind of interesting to hear from other farmers out there, too, as they work a different crop into the rotation, like canola, for example. We'll start off with Rob. He's up in northwest Minnesota, and canola, part of his normal rotation. Rob, thanks for joining us today. You bet. Great to be here. All right. How long have you been raising canola? How long has that been in your on your farm's acres? Well, we, we started canola before we ever started growing soybeans in this region. We started in about 1994. Um, looking for an alternative rotation to, to just a spring spring wheat and barley rotation. Uh, we throw in summer fall once in a while, but we really didn't have anything that worked exceptionally well. And uh, we found pretty early on that canola worked really well. Yeah, I, I was going to say it's neat how it gets in as a rotational crop, or at least that's one of the draws to get started. Then you find out, hey, this is a crop I can actually make some money on. You know, uh it is probably over the years been our most consistent money maker. Um, now we we're almost perfectly located geographically. I mean, we're, we're just south of the Canadian border. It originated in Canada. It was developed. A lot of the varieties of, you know, most of the varieties have been developed out of Canada. Uh, so it, it fit really well for us, uh, agronomically. And there was just an instant, uh, mesh, I guess. And, you know, just across the river into North Dakota, 
probably the largest uh, growing region in the country for for canola. All right, so talk to us about this canola as as it's grown in popularity, and certainly we've seen growers raising some really fantastic yields. Where does all the canola go, and what do you see for that market coming into 2021? Well, see, the funny thing about canola is it's one of our few deficit crops we raise in the United States. Uh, it is the most of the demand is uh, is actually coming from Canada. So there's always a strong demand. Uh, we have crush facilities. It just so happens we have a crush facility six miles from our farm, which is very handy for us. Um, there are others spread out across North Dakota and the Pacific Northwest. So we have uh, been able to establish some, some more local uh, delivery points, and that's helped a lot. But, um, yeah, most of our canola is, is actually imported. So it, it, it makes an attractive crop to grow. And it's one of the reasons why it financially works pretty well, too. All right. So you're painting a pretty rosy picture here, Rob. What have, what have been the challenges? Have you found any different diseases or, or uh, weeds or anything else that have popped up because you've got canola in the rotation? Uh, you know, uh, weeds, it's generally a plus uh, because of its rotation, offering some different uh, uh, chemicals that are, that are able to control most of the weeds you're looking at. Some regions of the country haven't had a good option for um, for a Roundup-ready glyphosate product. Uh, they're finding that they get to bring canola in, they get to introduce, finally get to introduce glyphosate uh, in an actual money-making crop. Here, uh, it's the biggest problem has probably been uh, disease and, and insects, pests. Uh, the biggest challenge in our area is, is flea beetle, crucifer flea beetle and striped flea beetle. Um, they attack the plant when it's young. Sometimes the seed treatments hold out, sometimes they don't. Uh, the other big challenge is, uh, is white mold, sclerotinia. Uh, that tends to be a, a pretty big challenge, especially since we've gone to wetter cycles here in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, unfortunately, soybeans have the same challenge with the white mold. That's That's been a downside for that particular crop, too, and it makes you just want to go back to small grains again to get away from some of that. But but I get it. It's it, There's pros, there's cons, and, and like you say, canola has been a, a pretty consistent crop over the years. Talking with Rob up in northwest Minnesota. Rob, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Oh, you bet. Thank you. Let's head over uh, up to Manitoba. We've got Brian on with us. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good. All right. You, you heard Rob throwing some love to, to the folks across the border in Canada. It had to make you feel good. Talk to us a little about canola. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it looks pretty attractive now, with uh, especially with uh, soybeans and canola both rallying pretty nicely here. We can get, uh, you know, 14 bucks a bushel here at Crushers. So, you know, it looks pretty op- optimistic for most people, so. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. I, I know when we talked about rotations, probably similar rotations where you're at in Manitoba. Do you do you raise some edible beans too, or or what else have you got in the rotation? Yeah, we grow a bunch of different stuff, so it fits our uh, rotation pretty good. We uh, we grow canola usually on our corn ground, and then uh, we follow it with wheat, and then edible beans or soybeans. Usually a four or five year rotation. Yeah, yeah, that helps a lot. That helps a lot spreading things out. Now, uh, Rob was talking about the flea beetle challenge, and and certainly there are things we can do for it. But man, they are they are tough. What other things do you find when you're managing that canola acre that have really been important to you? 
uh, getting that canola off to a really good start uh, really seems to help. Uh, I know guys around here have started planting a little bit later just because uh, it comes out of the ground that much quicker and uh, seems to do a lot better against those flea beetles. Uh, the main seed treatments we have don't seem to be working that well. Uh, there is one new one in the pipeline called Buteo around here that uh, looks pretty promising, but we can't get it on our in-bigger lineup yet. Yeah, it's it's always a challenge with labeling and everything else. I know there are some new things coming in the seed treatment world for disease and for insects, and it's just a matter of time before we, before we get them out there. But, yeah, it's always always tough to be patient waiting for that when you get a challenge like that. So the foliar applications on flea beetles, is it just a matter of getting out there timely and not letting them get away from you, or is it just that they're relentless and they keep coming? They seem to be pretty relentless. I know once uh, the worst I've ever had it was I sprayed in pretty good conditions, I thought. And three years or three days later, I was back spraying again, at least, uh, or the outside couple rounds, because they were just, they seem to be moving in and they, they're just relentless. You know, when we look at the, the weed control, uh, when we think about a crop where we can utilize Liberty or we can utilize uh, glufosinate or, or glyphosate, and we've got a lot of different options out there. Do you find anything that you're they're struggling with from a weed control standpoint, or is it is it just nice having some of those non-selective herbicides? Uh, it's, it's pretty good. Like with, uh, we like going Liberty link canola just because uh, we use group twos already uh, in our wheat and in our edible beans. So, uh, it's nice to having Liberty as a different group. But uh, with that comes the challenges of, well, nice warm weather for spring. Last uh, This past year we haven't had that. And then uh, the canola was pretty slow, so it was really challenging to keep the weeds under control. But if you can get the canola up and cabbaged, it pretty much keeps everything underneath at that point. So if you can keep it clean at the start, that's important. What do you think on planting population? Is this? I know there have been some different talks about this, about trying to establish a canopy a little bit earlier, but also you've got that trade out. You don't want to have it so thick that you get a white mold issue popping up. Do you have a sweet spot that you found for population that works for your farm? For us, we kind of like, uh, well, a narrower row spacing of uh, seven and a half or 10 inches. And I like to end up around five uh, plants per square foot. Okay. Five plants per square foot. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. We did some uh, at our field day site, and, and we way overdid it on seed. I don't remember exactly why we had that problem. And we found quickly that that's not the way to go. <laughs> and we got talking to farmers starting from that event about, hey, what, what are you doing over here, guys? It's like, well, we made a mistake. But, you know, that's part of the deal. When you when you plant crops, you're going to learn something every year. And, and some things work, some things don't. So the narrow row spacing, is that something you're doing in the other crops? Is that how you get started with that, or is it something that you would do from day one with canola if you were just starting with whatever you wanted? Uh, it's kind of just because we we have a well, that's what our drill spacing is, anyways, for uh, for our cereals. But if I was starting, I'd be a little bit hesitant to grow on uh, twenty-two inch planter grows just because of that uh, canopy cover. You bet. And we're talking with Brian up in Manitoba. Brian, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here in twenty twenty one. You too. Thank you. Talking about canola production on today's Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. I need the solve without the cell. With NK Seeds, I get people I trust who show me where their hybrids and varieties fit in my field without the heavy cell. So I get solutions that solve my problems from a partner who knows that success matters. Find your solve at nkseeds.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about canola today, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions too at 844 44 Ag PhD. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. I love some of the rotations that we're talking about today. It's a little different than corn and soybeans in the I states, so that makes it a little bit fun for me. And when we think about canola, it's been a pretty interesting crop and a fairly profitable crop on a uh, I, I don't know. Brian hates to use the word uh, consistent necessarily, but it's more times than not. It's been a pretty profitable crop for growers. We got Jason with us now out in Oregon. Is canola worked well out in your rotation, Jason? It does, and I wish I could grow more of it. Um, it's it's really been beneficial. Um, 
uh, we're primarily grass seed growers, and it, it really helps break things up. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you think about that. Introducing a broadleaf crop is, is really nice. And then is it the weed control standpoint, too, that you like? Yeah, because the the problem we run into, you know, monoculture here, grass, grass, grass for years, you start finding some resistance to it, and we really have to have purity uh, in the grass seed. So going to broadleaf crops, you know, we also grow purple top turnips, radish, and clovers. It really helps us get the grass cleaned up. Sure, sure. Yeah, that is that is pretty interesting. Okay, so you've got a lot of different things, and I, I know this is was um... – yeah, when I get a chance to travel down to New Zealand too, and they were talking about all the different seed crops and grass seed crops, mm-hmm. and and talking about how important the Pacific Northwest is in this industry too. Uh, talk to us about the turnips and radishes as well. Is that mainly going for cover crop, or or is it going for for food crops? That is all going into the cover crop market. Um, yeah, so I've really learned. Uh, actually, by growing canola has really taught me how to grow those better. I've got my yields up more consistent, um, basically just from learning from guys that have been growing canola for a long time. Interesting. Okay, so where do you draw the similarities? Is it getting that great start? Is that what's super important, or is it in-season management? It's mostly in-season management. Uh, fertility programs um, is the most part of it. Um, seeding populations, planting practices, stuff like that. Um, the disease and pest, I've actually, growing the other crops longer, has helped me with the canola to be ahead of it. Uh, when I talk to guys from the east side of the state or up in the uh, eastern Washington, I actually can t- tell them some practices on how to help with disease and whatnot. It's kind of always been interesting talking to those guys that grow a lot more acres than I do. How about insects? They mentioned disease. Do you see insect issues in canola that also impact some of these other crops that you're raising? Uh, not really. Um, it, it's pretty well different. It's, it's mostly a disease thing. Um, you know, every time, every once in a while we get some like pod weevils and things like that, but not terrible. They're, they're so far, knock on wood, been fairly easy to manage. Now, I mentioned the fertility before, and I wanted to follow back up on that, too. Is there a certain nutrient that, that you found to be really important for your soils in terms of getting more out of the canola and also the, the turnips and radishes, or, or is it a general overall thing? It's kind of a general overall thing. It's, it's been more of a timing and um, on uh, applications of when to do it, how much really the nitrogen, pushing nitrogen is kind of where I've really fine-tuned over the last few years. But uh, definitely it's been a timing issue. Um, you know, we used to go out, do a little bit pre-plant, and then really hit it hard in the spring. And I've kind of gotten into a, a 30% each uh, each application now and spread it out from, from pre-plant to, oh, it dries out a little bit here in the next month. I'll go out and do another chunk, and then right before bolting, I'll do some more. Interesting. Yeah, the timing really is a big deal. That's that's uh, a pretty neat thing. So you're doing the same kind of thing then in turnips and radishes too? Yeah, um, just less. The yield potential isn't there. Uh, it probably yields 40 to 50% of what the canola does, so I don't throw as much nitrogen at it. Um, 
and it seems to be it seems to be uh, playing out when I played with it uh, going up and down in my rates. It, it seems to just hold steady right there, so I just don't throw as much nitrogen at those other two. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, as you look at, at canola management, the, the disease is the other piece that you mentioned. I'm assuming you're talking about fungicides here, but is it also a, yeah. kind of a function of planting, the planting things you were talking about with population and so forth? No, it, it's mostly everything we grow here. We're in the Willamette Valley, and it's just always kind of damp and warm in the wintertime, and it really lets things get established. And so that's, I mean, in everything, the grass seed, wheat production, all of it, we have disease pressures. And so we've just kind of always known to go out and get ahead of it. And so um, I haven't had any major outbreaks to speak of ever because we're proactive at it, uh, a couple of fungicide shots a year and just and stay ahead of it. Um, but you do have to watch out for sclerotinia. I had a pretty good outbreak a couple of years ago in the turnips. And, uh, and then there's some black leg around, but you kind of got to dig for it. It, it. it doesn't turn up too much. Yeah, you're right. That, that dampness, that humidity and, and rainfall and so forth is, is tough. And I know mm-hmm. some of the areas that we talk to growers raising canola, they just don't have much. It's a little drier climate. And they're like, why are you guys talking about this all the time? We don't have a big disease problem, right. but, but it sure, I can imagine in your area, that's got to be a major concern. Yeah, well, I'm sitting here at my desk looking out the window at a little tiny piece of blue sky, and it's the first one I've seen in, in days. It's just been raining and raining and raining, and then it takes you know months for the soil to dry out. So, yeah, it's it's uh, I'll I'll put my first fungicide shot on probably about the same time I put my next fertilizer shot on. So, in February at some point, hopefully, if I can get out there. Yep, yep. Well, hopefully things dry out a little bit for you, Jason. Hopefully that sunshine comes back out. Really appreciate learning from what you're doing out your way. Thanks for growing all that cover crop seed for us and grass seed. We do really appreciate that. And thanks for taking the time to to tell us a little bit about canola today, too. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. You bet. Thanks, Jason. Good luck going into 2021 here. All right, Brian, uh, got a number of fertility-related questions, also some weed control well, questions yeah, on but, canola. But, yeah, but before we get to that, I, I just wanted to talk a, a little bit about diseases in canola as well. So there, up in North Dakota, for example, we work with a lot of farmers up there, and there's some question about club root, for example. It's a soil-borne disease. It affects plants like canola. And I was just looking at a study when we were uh, talking about doing this for a topic about how literally the addition of lime in low pH soils reduces the amount of club root. And it just brings me back all the time to something that we talk about that, look, as much as possible, we don't want to have to use chemicals to solve our problems. Let's get the drainage fixed first, then let's work on fertility. And a big part of fertility is getting that soil pH right. So if you've got low soil pH, will the canola survive? Yes, it'll survive, but we don't want it to just survive. We want it to thrive. We want it to do very well and then be much more tolerant to diseases out there. And uh, there uh, there was one study I looked at where basically they were showing the difference between ag lime and sugar beet lime, and the sugar beet lime, those fields did better. Well, of course they did. There's a bunch of fertility in the in the lime. So, <laughs> again, I, I just really encourage you, soil test 
and let's fertilize well. Don't just fertilize a little bit or fertilize, well, the fertilizer dealer wants to sell me this. Let's, let's do a good job with that. In terms of diseases, yes, there are many that can affect canola. Probably the worst, just like in soybeans, is sclerotinia white mold. There are a number of fungicides, just like there are in soybeans. We'd really encourage you, make sure you're staying ahead on that. And a big part of stopping sclerotinia white mold, so we've already talked a little bit about row spacing and reducing the canopy and that kind of thing to allow more air to move through. But a big part of it is, hey, we got to look at manganese levels. And you're not going to have great manganese levels if you have super high pH. So we want to get that pH in line and do a good job with all of our micronutrients. Uh, in terms of fungicides, though, you got a lot to pick from, and you can spray for other diseases besides just sclerotinia white mold. Uh, Darren was mentioning weed questions with canola. We're going to get to that right after this and get to more of your questions with other crops here on Ag PhD Radio. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Fill once, plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Today on the show we've been talking about canola, but we are also answering your calls and questions. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So just to kind of wrap things up on canola here, the last couple of points I had, and then Darren, we can get to any more questions that you had. Um, it, it, it's really about great weed control. And for a lot of guys raising canola, they do some tillage. If you're doing some tillage, I would encourage you use a little bit of trifluralin in advance. A lot of times we're talking about a pint and a half of trifluralin in advance. Uh, it should be labeled in most areas, and that way you get a nice start on your grasses and a lot of the small seeded broadleaves. And then you can certainly follow up depending on which canola you're raising, whether it's Roundup Ready, Liberty Link, or Clearfield. So Roundup Ready, obviously we're running out there with Roundup. Liberty Link, you're going with Liberty. And Clearfield, we're talking Beyond. Beyond, by the way, is the same thing as Raptor that gets used in soybeans and alfalfa. So anyway, uh, those... Weed control options are nice. I would just say, though, there are a lot of ALS-resistant weeds, so Beyond isn't going to kill them. There are a lot of Roundup-resistant weeds, so Roundup obviously will not control those. So that's where the Liberty has been pretty nice, and we've seen more guys leaning toward that when weeds are a major issue because at this point there are no resistant weeds to Liberty in the world that we know of, so that is, uh, is certainly a nice option to have. All right, uh, we better jump to the phone lines. Uh, Darren, Sit down to Texas and yeah, get Gary nice. on with us right now. Gary, how are you today? I'm doing great, uh, Darren and Brian. Uh, just had a quick question for you. Okay. Uh, we just uh, put out some pelletized lime, and uh, we put out some phosphorus and potash on 128 acres of uh, Bermuda grass. And we're close to a river bottom, and we didn't expect it, but we got another flood, about five inches. I was just wondering, we had probably about 30 or 40 acres of it that went under about two or three foot of water. Do you think we lost all of it, or do you think we we got about an inch and a half the day before we actually got the the flood on top of the ground? But I'm just curious, is there... Yeah, it's just God's only one that knows, I guess. But I just wonder what <laughs> yep. I just wonder what y'all thought. Okay, so let me see if I understand this. You've got the, the these 128 grass acres, and you spread this broadcast over the top, and then shortly after, just a few days after, that's when you got the five inches of rain. Correct. Correct. Okay, so phosphorus doesn't move down hardly at all in soil. Of the three things you've got there, phosphorus, potash, and lime, the phosphorus is the one I would be most concerned about losing. 
The lime is the one I'd probably be the least concerned about losing, but you know, I, both the lime and the potash, you probably lost a little bit. So hopefully that inch and a half of rain was enough to push the potassium and the lime into the soil enough so you didn't lose a whole lot. But let's face it, if you've got uh, feet of water running over this thing, that's a real problem for anything you do. We've lost all this kind of stuff on our river bottom ground before. So, you know, what percentage is left, I don't know. It's just an unfortunate deal. And I, I, I'm sorry to say, but some of that has been lost. Not all of it is left, but there, there most likely is some of the potash and some of the lime left. There's probably very little of the phosphorus left. You know, the only way you would really know is to go out and do soil tests here after everything dries up. But, you know, I, I would say this, and, and just thinking for the future, and this is something we learned kind of the hard way, same deal as, as what you've gone through right now. We've had our, our river bottom ground flood several times. We try to spoon feed it. We try to uh, just put on a little bit at a time. We don't do stuff ahead, um, just on the low grounds. You know, like you said, I mean, you've got the rest of that 128 acres that maybe didn't have the feet of water on it. That you can do about whatever you want. But yeah, on that low ground where the river might flood it again at some point, it's just, it, it, it's a tough deal. I really feel for you because we've gone through it actually several times here in the last few years. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, we had our wettest years ever, and the the river flooded. I don't know th three, four times. It was it was terrible. It was worst 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 thing we've ever had. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, we we know we've uh, uh, we've got a tough spot to deal with, yep. but that's will make hay. It will make hay. But uh, we had a yeah. record setter uh, in July of last year. And But anyway, I don't want to take y'all's time. I do do want to thank y'all for being there, and y'all do such a service to our planet. Well, thanks, Gary. We appreciate the phone call. Y'all take care. Yep, you too. All right, Brian, one of, the, one of the things that came up back to the canola discussion, just uh, about having the opportunity to use traits with Liberty Link, Roundup Ready, those types of yep, things. Yep, Clearfield. Just great. Yep. Well, I left Clearfield out because we've got ALS products that we can use in a lot of different crops, but here you go. Here's a different mode of action that you can't really use in crop that you can. If you're in a small grain rotation, for example, and you work canola into the operation, being able to use Liberty in crop is pretty nice. Or well, yeah, it. but I mean, having the Clearfield option could be nice too. Maybe you're rotating with a crop where you can't use that. So, I, I, I mean, it's it just could be it, Brian, it's just but nice that's a, that's a stretch. I, I get it. There, there are some things, and and honestly, I think for some people, the Clearfield option might just be a carryover protection type option too. Yep, I agree. Where you could plant a crop, or you know what, I use a lot of ALS in my wheat. I'll I'll do that, and then I can not have to worry about dinging up my canola. All right. Didn't you say you had some weed control question for from canola? Well, the the question is with Roundup resistant weeds now, uh, and, and I had a, a text from someone up in North Dakota just saying, "All right, we've got Roundup resistant kochia, and we've got canola now. What do you see for good kochia options in canola?" <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, that's well, where you, the you, Liberty is. Yeah, you got to go Liberty Link. I, that was my thought too. Yep. That if you go Liberty Link, you can kill it. And and here's the thing: we get, I, I know even with uh, the 
debate between enlist soybeans and extend soybeans and extend flex. Can we take kosher out with Liberty? We can. We just got to be timely. And with Liberty, it does take some heat. I know we were talking with Brian up in Manitoba about, but I like I like the Liberty. I like that option. We just didn't get any heat last year, so it was tougher to make it work. And I, I think the heat is important and sunshine, but you got to get weeds when they're small. So you got to target two to four inch tall weeds, and then you'll have pretty good luck. And and don't skimp on the right. Yes, but yeah, when you talk the Roundup Ready canola or the or the Clearfield canola. Uh, yeah, Roundup and ALS, a lot of the kosher is resistant to both. All right, we were talking nutrients a little bit ago, and uh, I had a question from BA. We were talking about magnesium, but he asked the question about manganese. Yep. He said, what are your thoughts about manganese sulfate versus using a chelated manganese? I've heard that it's common for the non-chelated manganese to oxidize and then not be available to the plant. Well, that's certainly a possibility. So we really like the manganese chelate and, and, and a lot of the chelates as planting time options and as foliar options. Now, if we're talking about, hey, we've got a low testing soil and we're simply trying to build up that soil, uh, that soil test number, that's where usually guys are running manganese sulfate. And I wouldn't get all that worried about, oh, it's all going to get tied up or anything. Is a portion going to get tied up? You bet it is. But in the meantime, you spent a lot less money per actual pound of manganese. So if a little bit gets tied up, it's not the end of the world. And then eventually, hopefully, you get your soil in balance with everything else. You get a lot of roots growing in, in the soil that kick out chelating agents or basically acids to help make that manganese more available moving forward. So it's, it's a long-term thing. That, the, the, the manganese chelate, short-term. It's available right now. Manganese sulfate. Look at it more as, a, as the long-term option. All right. Thanks for the question. I uh, get this one from Brian. He said, we watch your, or we listen to your show religiously. And my son is finishing up a two-year ag program at college, looking to continue on his education at a university. Wondering about your field day. Got some questions about that. And, and Brian, thank you for, for the email here. We'll get to your questions about the field day coming up right after this short break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It's about time. Applied at planting, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriophil moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. 
Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings Craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. And you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions here throughout the rest of the show. Phone lines are open at 844 44AGPHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Just before the break, I started reading a question here from Brian. He said he's listening to our show religiously. His son is finishing up a two year ag program at a local college, looking to continue his education at Iowa State said he'd sure be interested in coming to the field day, just wondering what we're thinking about our field day and also what's the word on our young farmer's day in advance of our field day. Are we still planning on that, and do we have any more details? Hey, thanks, Brian. We appreciate that. Well, at this point, we're planning on having a field day this summer, and we fully expect that's going to happen, and we think it's going to be fantastic. We actually got a lot of work done at the field day site last year when we didn't have a field day due to the whole COVID pandemic. And now we're set up with some permanent grass in some areas where we've had issues with with a little mud on one year that I can think of. But we tried to make our field day site even nicer, so hopefully that will go off well. Uh, Brian, you want to talk about the Young Farmers event? And then, uh, oh, I should mention, too, that we're planning on the field day the last Thursday in July. Yeah, for our Ag PhD field day last Thursday in July, we are going to do a Young Farmers field day. It, 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 mainly because the last couple of years we have done a collegiate agronomy workshop in the winter. We decided not to do that this winter just because hands-on learning, we feel, is really important for those who are a little bit less experienced. And we couldn't offer that this year because of the whole COVID thing. So we believe it'll be done by this summer. And we're lucky. We're in the state that leads the nation in vaccinations. We're about 5% of our adults have already been vaccinated in the state of South Dakota. Uh, But we believe that by 
June when the Young Farmers Field Day will be. I think it's the last Saturday in June. Um, that anyone who has wanted to get a shot here in South Dakota will have gotten it. And so hopefully everything's going to be okay by then. But Anyway, in terms of that Young Farmers Field Day, we are going to cover some of the things we would normally do at a collegiate workshop, but when we do those collegiate workshops in the winter, we can't show the Young Farmers thing. So we're going to have a bunch of different stations, and we'll have a bunch of super well-trained agronomists, uh, some people we've been working with for, for years and years, a couple of our research leads, a couple, uh, a couple real key agronomists that we have worked with for a long time as well, helping us out. But Darren and I will be out there with the young farmers right out in the field and, and having them go in small groups at stations and then kind of rotating around just so we get as much hands-on learning as possible. We'll also give away a number of college scholarships that day. So if you're looking for more information on that, we will have more info posted soon on our website. Again, this isn't till June, so we got a lot of time, but we'll have more information on our website here probably within the next week. All right. Thanks for that question. We appreciate that. I got this question from Chet, who said, I've got a couple of soil samples I'd love to get an opinion on. It's some river bottom ground that we need to get tiled, but also noticing that our pH is low and our calcium is dramatically low. Uh, we see a zero to six inch soil test of 5.5 pH, and this is common in the central part of Montana. Just wondering, is lime our best source? If we yep. don't have a close source of ag lime, what is next? And does gypsum play a part in this at all? Well, the advantage is there are sugar beet plants. So, you know, there are sugar beets raised in uh, in Montana and North Dakota. So I would look for sugar beet lime if you can't find ag lime. There's also pelletized lime out there. There's water treatment lime, lots of different lime sources. Just make sure you're testing those before you start putting them on your ground. The other thing is we do get concerned, and we talked about this earlier in our show today, when we say, oh, we have low pH ground, let's put lime on. Okay, that's fine, but is it all low pH? So do lots of tests. In other words, we like small grids. We like one-acre grids before we go do liming because we just don't want you to get it where it should not go. So as long as you're confident that all the ground actually needs lime, lime is absolutely the way to go because if you've got soil pH in the fives, it's hard to raise a great crop of corn or wheat or barley or oats and especially alfalfa. So you need to get the pH up at least to some degree. All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Got this from Paul in Poland. And Paul said, I've got a question for you about canola and the nutrient boron. Can you apply liquid boron at the same time you're canola seeding using the strip-till method and put the entire dose of 750 grams per hectare, which is about two-thirds of a pound per acre, on right at planting time? I've got land with a high pH of 7.2 to 7.5 and just wondering what I should do. Well, I'd be concerned about that. We do worry about the toxicity of boron when you get too much in too small an area. So when, when you're going to be broadcasting, 
it, it's usually no problem, especially on higher pH soil, because a lot of times that higher pH soil tells me the ground's heavy, there's generally a drainage problem, or there's high magnesium. Either way, it's we've got a, got a heavier soil, so we can hold a lot of boron comparatively to the light ground, and there's less risk overall for crop injury. But when we're broadcasting it, I'm not that worried about it. You start banding, and now we're taking some chances. So if you want to try that on a little bit, you know, would I be willing to try that much? Probably, but that's probably the top end of what I'd be willing to try in a band. Two-thirds of a pound of actual boron in a band. Now, we've done four and a half pounds of actual boron broadcast with no problem for many years. Corn, beans, wheat, uh, I don't know, a couple other crops too. But anyway, uh, not not canola specific. But nevertheless, I'm just saying the heavier your soil and the more calcium you have, the less risk you have. Okay, so if you have a lot of calcium, heavier soil, you have less risk, but there's still some risk when you put so much in a concentrated band. Because here's what can happen. Your root can get down to that, it'll hit it, and it's too much. And so that root will burn off. Now, you might not kill the whole plant. You might not even damage um, damage much of the whole plant, but it kind of defeats the purpose. You see what I mean? So the other nice thing with boron is it will leach down through the soil profile. So there is less reason for you to ban that than there would be something that's immobile in the soil like phosphorus for example when you put phosphorus in a band that's a great move because then hopefully your roots are going to find it and you'll be able to extract it and extract it at a much higher percentage this year with the boron isn't as big a deal it'll move in the soil water it'll move down in the profile it'll move around so a lot of times it will get to your roots if your roots don't find it right away so if it's me, I might try a little bit at that higher rate. Otherwise, I'd try maybe a half of that rate and then broadcast the rest or do a little foliar or, you know, I do, do something, some other method, try something else. But yes, I, I'd be fine trying that much on a small scale. Okay. Uh, next question here. I was wondering if you would recommend or what you would recommend for a two-pass program or maybe a one-pass if there's such a thing that could work for conventional soybeans. My biggest problem is water hemp. Last year, we sprayed early with Zidua Pro. We came back with a second spray of Flexstar and a third spray of Ultra Blazer. Both the Flexstar and Ultra Blazer stunted the beans and stunted the weeds, and then they just grew right through it. And so we ended up with a weedy mess and a lot of expense. There's a nice premium over by Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's about 50 cents over the board minus a basis that you set, which we set it at 20. And so it's worth messing with. It's just that if we can't control the water hemp, we can't really keep growing conventional beans. Yep, we can control that water hemp real easy. It's just Zidual Pro is a bad choice for you. And here's why. Zidua Pro has Pursuit that won't touch water hemp that's ALS resistant. It's got Zidua in there, which is a group 15, similar to what Warrant would be or Outlook, but, you know, it's only okay on water hemp. And then you've got Sharpen it at so low a rate in that Zidua Pro, so it doesn't hurt the beans, that you've got almost no residual. So what you need to switch to is this. Go with the three pre's we talk about all the time. Use trifluralin. That's really cheap if you're, if you're tilling. Otherwise, if you're no-till, then you'd have to go prowl. Then go metribuzin and add with that either authority or valor. Grand total, if you're going trifluralin, metribuzin, and either authority or valor, you're only going to spend 10 or 12 bucks. That's it. And then you follow post-emerge with warrant ultra. That'll give you the Flexstar plus warrant a group 15. 
Okay, so now you'll have five herbicides, all effective on water hemp, four different modes of action, and you got it. So again, that's a yellow, either trifluralin or prowl, plus metribuzin, plus either authority or valor. Then early post come with or, uh, warrant ultra, and you've got her licked. Yeah, there's quite a few different things there, and it's certainly not going to be an easy program, even for growers that are raising a trait like extend flex or enlist. wait no that is an easy pro you no. literally do this you got 99.9 percent -9 i'm just water. saying it's not a one pass program so oh, okay okay you, you do it does take multiple steps but the weed control is fantastic thanks for the questions today and thanks for listening to ag phd radio